Welcome to the Four Freedom Podcast. I found my freedom in you. I found a joy I can't lose. And thank God it's true. You wrapped your arms around me. And heaven broke through from the moment you found me. I found my freedom in you. This podcast exists bring the freedom of the gospel for everyday Christians with everyday issues. Now here are your hosts, John Hollyfield and James Seyfried. Welcome back, everybody. We are back. We're back, James. We're back in black, baby. I don't know about black, but we're back. (laughs) We're back. The new and improved for Freedom Podcast. New and improved. I don't know if we're really new, and I don't know if it's that improved, but we're we're back, and uh, we're excited, and uh, we we've got some uh, we're doing things a little different. And, we say uh, that all the time, don't we, John? We're just we do just changing it up a little bit. Same guys, different structure. I don't know. Same uh, do what? Same setting. You're in Tennessee. I'm in North Carolina. Yep. Unfortunately, you couldn't make it to the promised land. Still in the desert, nope. wandering for four nope. years. But maybe when this airs, you may come be coming back from Israel, or you may still be in Israel. This airs, yes, I'll probably be in Israel um, if we're planning on dropping this the first week of February. Yeah, and uh, looking forward, man, I'm excited. There's, I just got off a call just a minute ago uh, with Marcus, our our tour guide, our leader of the trip, and uh, 38 pastors, 38 men of us are going. Um, it's going to be awesome. He said they had a goal of 20 and they're ending with 38, which is pretty credible, pretty incredible. And, uh, looking at parking and getting to Atlanta and meeting up with some guys before I leave out. And so, uh, just so excited about that. Excited about seeing the, the, the Bible come to life, been able to experience that in a 3d world, um, of being able to go to Caesarea Philippi, being able to go to Jordan, be able to go to Bethlehem and, and Calvary, and all the places that we're going to go to. Um, I'm just really, really stoked, really pumped about it, and I uh, can't wait to report back and, and talk to you guys about what's happened and what, what we learned there, and I'll re- be reporting in our church as well about the things that uh, we'll be seeing there. And so just really excited. Wish John could go with us, uh, but, you know, those big-time senior pastor guys, they don't have time for us low lives to go to, to Israel, so they, they just have to continue to minister where they're at. Right, John? Well, come on. Well, John, that's how, that's how we roll. John, you just got out of a, a pretty cool time. Two weeks. Uh, tell us about what what you got to. Yeah, the church, my church graciously gave it gave me a sabbatical, and so we had uh, my family. We had two weeks off of everything, and uh, it was fun. We had a good time, and uh, really enjoyed the time off. And uh, yeah, just spent a lot of good time with the family. Made made some memories, and so uh, looking forward. Uh, to getting back at it and uh, back into the swing of things and, and uh, doing ministry and that kind of thing. But well, when uh, we were talking about, we are the, uh, the four freedom podcast. Uh, We take that name from Galatians five, one is for freedom that Christ has set you free. Do not be entangled again with the yoke of bondage. And uh, the purpose uh, the sort of statement of the podcast is, is the, bring the freedom of the gospel for everyday Christians with everyday issues and our, our authority, our, our source that we use to do so 
is our belief um, on the sufficiency of Scripture. And uh, James and I are both in the biblical counseling world. I'm an ACBC uh, biblical counselor as long as a pastor. James is uh, finishing up his certification with uh, the Institute of Biblical Counseling and Discipleship. And and uh, so we're, we're going to be, what our structure is going to be is uh, we want to cover uh, topics each month. And so we're going to have a series of episodes on that topic where James and I will tackle the subject for, uh, and, and, and talk a little bit about it. And then we want to get some interviews uh, with some that have, have uh, done some work in this topic, maybe produce materials or that type of thing. And so uh, the topic for this John, month... You want, you want to list all eight topics that we're going to be doing? Well, I have to bring it up. You got me when I'm not ready. I've got it right here. I'll, you know, I'm, some I'm, things don't change. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> all right, go ahead, James. One of those show notes. Uh, February, we're going to be looking at marriage. And uh, so we're going to be taking four weeks, three to four weeks is what we're looking at, and the, having some interviews, talking through what marriage is. Uh, today, we'll specifically be talking through Ephesians, uh, me and John will. Uh, then in March, we'll be talking about parenting, and in April, anxiety. Uh, John, what about May, June, and July? Well, I thought you had it. I didn't bring it up. Oh, sorry. Okay, May, we got mental disorders. I thought you brought it up and you were ready for me. May, we'll be doing mental disorders. June, we'll be doing sexual sins. Uh, July, we'll be taking off. It's our normal break. July is our busiest month, me and John's busiest month. Uh, August will be addictions. September will be depression. And October is going to be abuse. And then we'll take the holiday break of November and December off as well. So that's our year plan for, I guess, John, will this be considered season three if we did seasons? For our no, if I, the way that I structured it was like each time we took a break, we started a new season. This would be like okay. season six or something like that. Yeah, We've so. been doing it for two years, a little yeah. over two years. Maybe, no, we're starting, we're just maybe. Starting season three, third. right? Year three, I right? I don't yeah, know. year three maybe. I don't know. I don't know. I have to go back and look. But uh, June of 2020 was when we started, and we're in January of 2023 as recording this, but, uh, so we're going to do marriage this month and we're going to be talking about marriage. And, uh, before we get started, let me say this, that our approach to this subject today is with the attitude of, um, looking at, uh, biblical, uh, help and biblical understanding of marriage without, we're not going to approach it because there's so much nuance. If you have abuse going on, we're going to do a month talking about abuse. And in that month, we're going to do an episode on domestic abuse. So understand that when we are saying the things that we're saying, we're saying in the context of a marriage situation that's not experiencing abuse. Mm-hmm. And we just want to couch that right now because I think that some people will object. Well, what about this situation? What about this situation? Well, we don't want to continue to stop and go and stop and go and having to nuance all this stuff and never really get anything said if we're trying to cover it all. And so we're, we're approaching this with the understanding that if this marriage situation, there's not abuse present, this is, this is uh, the God's message, God's truth for that. Mm. And um, so we're going to, but one of the things that we want to cover in this episode, we're going to get into some uh, interviews uh, later, but we want to start with sort of a, a basic foundation of that. And so we want to sort of talk about, you know, the classic marriage passage. What's the classic marriage passage that everybody goes to in Scripture? 
Ephesians 5. Ephesians 5. Okay, so we're going to go there. Uh, so just go ahead and get ready. That's where we're going to be. You guessed it. We're going to cover Ephesians 5. You've probably heard several messages from Ephesians 5. Uh, I've been I've preached through Ephesians. I'm finishing up the book of Ephesians right now at our church. So I've been in Ephesians 5 for a long time in my in my study. And uh, and so uh, before we do that, though, we're going to we're going to talk about the foundation of marriage and, and the marriage roles. But I want to cover three things that we need to understand that we're approaching this with the foundation of your marriage. You think about that. You have to have the foundation to get right. You know, there was a house that was built here late uh, uh, a few years back in our county, and the person built the house and then put the thing in, put renters in it, and then tried to get by without getting an inspection well somebody that worked for the county drove by noticed the house was there said I don't think we've checked that so looked it up sure enough they didn't check it so they came out and checked it and they found that the guy's foundation was off Hmm. you know what they made him do tear the whole thing down he had to move his renters out and he had to tear the whole thing down fix the foundation and start back and that is important. My dad's a builder. And he always stressed to me the importance of a foundation. And he showed me this one time with a building. And he, this building was there for about uh, 20 years. And he said, you see this crack going up all the way through the corner of the building reaching to the roof? And I said, yeah. And uh, it was concrete. And he said, that crack is there because the foundation was off. Mm. A foundation, when the foundation is off, when the foundation is wrong... It'll cause all kinds of problems over time through there. We're talking about a threefold foundation. Dave Harvey in his book, When Sinners Say I Do, talks about this in his first chapter. And he says this, that first of all, we have a foundation of the, of the Bible. And if you're new to our podcast, then you understand, that we want to help you understand. We believe in the inerrancy of Scripture, the authority of Scripture, the sufficiency of Scripture, we believe the Bible is God's word and handled accurately, interpreted rightly, and is authoritative for us today. Um, if you're not new to our podcast, this is not something that we haven't said many times before. So the Bible, Scripture, is where we find that. Um, James, who created marriage? Well, that, that was created by God the, the very beginning. It's a, not a man-made concept. It's not a government-ordained concept. It's a concept that God created between a man and a woman. And uh, that, so God was the, in, was the initiator of marriage. He created yeah. us for companionship. God created it, and he gave the instructions to it in his word. Mm-hmm. So we go to his word to find out how marriage should look. Okay? So foundation number one is that. Foundation number two is the gospel. All right, the gospel, the, the death, burial, resurrection, the fact that Jesus Christ came, died according to the scriptures, was re- buried and raised according to the scriptures. The idea of the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ sacrificed on the cross for sinners, atoning for sinners, okay, is a foundation for that. Because when you get into a marriage, what do you have? You have two sinners coming together. Yeah. And what is the what is the solution for those two sinners whenever sin starts getting in the way? It is the application of the gospel, meaning that what reconciles sinners to God? It is God's grace 
his mercy and Christ's sacrifice. What can reconcile two sinners together within a home? It is applying that grace to each other, sacrificing for each other, exhibiting humility and mercy to each other. Okay? So foundation number two is the gospel. And foundation number three is the glory of God. Yeah. And this is an issue that I think is, is very important because your marriage is not for your happiness. Marriage is not intended for your happiness. It's not intended for you to be happy. Happiness and joy can be a byproduct of your marriage. It's not the ultimate goal. The ultimate yeah. goal, not just in life, but also in the marriage, is God's glory. You know, yeah. The Westminster Confession says it perfectly. I still do this. I love it. It's the chief end of man is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. And so the chief end of those things, those pursuits that we put our life to, is the glory of God. Whatever you do, whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the, the glory, glory of God. Okay? Absolutely. And so that's our foundation. So with that foundation, we take that foundation about marriage, and then we move to today. We just want to cover, we want to talk about this text in Ephesians uh, chapter 5 and what Paul gives instructions here about husbands and wives in the context of marriage. James, why don't you read the text for us? Okay. Uh, you want me to read all 22 to 33? Yeah, do that. Okay. I've got it here in the New King James. It says, Wives, submit yourselves unto your own husbands as to the Lord, for the husband is the head of the wife, as also Christ is the head of the church, and he is the Savior of the body. Therefore, just as the church is subject to Christ, so let the wives be their own husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives, just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her. Christ gave himself for her so that he might sanctify and cleanse her with the washing of the word, that he might present her to himself as a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such blemish, that you should be holy and without blemish. So husbands ought to love their own wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself, for no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as the Lord does the church. Verse 30, for we are members of his body, of his flesh and his bones. For this reason shall man leave his father and mother, be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This is a great mystery that I speak concerning Christ and the church. Nevertheless, let each one of you in particular so love his own wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. Okay, so that's a hot-fire passage in today's culture. That is a passage that does not fly in today's culture. Um, has some hard truths in it, has some hard passages, um, but one thing that we want to remember is that we cannot divorce this text from its context. And I know some people out there are screaming, yeah, you started at 22, you should have started at verse 21. And I'm going to say, you know what, we should have started at the beginning of chapter 4. Yeah. Yeah, well, at the verse 1 of chapter 1, you know, but you have to understand the entire context of the book. Paul's writing to this people, and let me go quick, I can be long-winded on this because I've been in this book for an entire year. Uh, but Paul's talking to this, uh, sends a letter to this church, and he sets off start, starting with giving them doctrine. 
giving them theology. Chapters one through three is a is a uh, chapter one is a starting off introduction, a doxology, a praise to God, and then he gives them the doctrine of the gospel. Ephesians two, you're dead in sins, but God, who is rich in mercy, by faith you have by grace you have been saved through faith. In chapter two, and then he begins to lay out how that should look in the context of the local church, the outworking of the gospel. He says, because there's no longer Gentile and Jew, you're now together. And then he says that in chapter 3, he says, God gave spiritual gifts for the church for you to carry out. And he's gifted the church. Now, with all of that doctrine out of the way in chapter 3, he goes to chapter 4 and he says, now here's how you should live. Because of this doctrine of the gospel, because the truth of Jesus Christ that's been applied to your life, this is how you live. Walk worthy in a manner of wherewith you've been called. All right, so walk worthy in this manner. And he walks through chapter, chapter 4, and he says things like, uh, put off the old man, put on the new man, and be renewed in the spirit of your mind. Um, and he talks about, you know, don't steal anymore, but give. Don't let the sun go down upon your anger. Don't have any malice or bitterness or clamor among you, but be kind one to another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another. He goes on to chapter 5, be imitators of God, walk in love. These are all things that should be characteristic of believers in the church. Mm -hmm. And he goes through chapter 5, and he's working through this, and he gets to this part where he says this in verse 18. Don't get drunk with wine. There's your put off. What is the put on? Be filled with the Spirit. And we could say it this way. Don't be controlled by any other uh, man-made substance. Mm -hmm. Be controlled by God's Holy Spirit. Now, what does it look like to be controlled by the Holy Spirit of God? Well, he explains that in the next three verses. Three things. You sing. You have a spiritual song. You have a song of God in your heart. You have thanksgiving as a heart attitude. And you are submitting one to another. Now... Here's, here's the thing that people scream about. Submission is supposed to go both ways. I agree, submission goes both ways. And I'm, we're going to explain how that works. But what you have to understand is just not in verse 21 as part of the context. You have to connect verse 21 to the context of everything. He's talking about the local church. And he's saying that in the local church, the attitude that you should have between believers is a submission towards all of each other. Mm -hmm. This means that every woman submits to every man in the church? No. Does this mean every man submits to everybody? No, it's, it's talking about a, a spiritual heart attitude of humility, of love and serving one another. And then from verse 21, he says that submitting yourselves, that's plural, one to another. And then from verse 21 to 22, he says, I'm going to get specific in three different areas. Let me get super practical. Mm -hmm. He's already been practical. Now he says, let me get super practical. And so he gives three relationships, and many scholars believe because he gives these three specific relationships, these are the three relationships that the Ephesian church was struggling with. The relationship between husband and wives, the relationship between um, parents and children, and the relationship between slaves and masters. Yeah. Okay? Now, we're not going to get into the uh, nitty-gritty, the, 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 the snake pit, which is dealing with slavery and the Bible and that kind of thing, okay? We're not getting to that. But that is what he's saying here in this. So we're going to cover where he gets specific in husbands and wives. So there's our context, and he comes to verse 22, and he says, Now, specifically, wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. Now, even in that part right there, he says this. Is he saying submit to every man? No. 
He's saying right. submit to your own husbands. The only man she should be submitting to is uh, her own husband. Okay, but we have a firebrand, James. We have a we have a uh, just like right now we're making people mad. What is the word? What is the reason here? It's saying there's submission. It exists. Yeah, because of the Lord. Unto the Lord. Yeah. Yeah. That, that can you continue on? How are you supposed to submit? As yeah. if this guy's a great husband? No. Because we're not. We're not great husbands. <laughs> we're all sinful. Yeah, exactly. That's what I said at the beginning. You're bringing two yeah. sinners together. That husband's a sinner. He's yeah. not the perfect guy. He's not going to treat you the right way all the time. Mm-hmm. Now, again... We're not talking about abusive situations. That's another conversation for another day. We're talking about just every day just being a bonehead. All right? You submit how? As to the Lord. Yeah. Because your submission is really to who? Is it to your husband? No. It's to God. Yeah. And, and you know, as I was studying through this a little bit, John, I and you alluded to it a little bit, but... Um, one commentator made this statement. He said, uh, wives have most, most of the time, uh, he's given a general statement here. He said, but a lot of times it's easy for a woman in the sense of the wives here to be submissive to a boss in a work setting that is a man. Uh, but it is harder for a woman in the situation here to give this submission to her own husband in her own home. And, he says that the Lord considers it more important at the home than anywhere else to give this submission, to give this honor to the husband as unto the Lord, um, and to make sure that we are given this submission to our husbands um, as unto the Lord for the holiness that we just spoke about. Yeah, so you can't get away from the text. The text is clear. If you believe in Scripture, that Scripture speaks, and that Scripture is God's Word, this is so incredibly clear. Yeah. Who's the subject? Who's it talking to? It's talking specifically to wives. It labels that. What is the action that's been asked to do? Submission. To who? To husbands, but to your own husband, but how? As to the Lord. Now, let's talk before we move on over to... We're going to give the husbands a, a good run for their money, too. Right. All sure. right. But before we move on to there, let's define submission. A lot of people like to, well, what do you mean by submit? What do you mean by submit? Well, the words for submit is, is uh, hypotasso or hupotasso. It's a Greek term. Now, the interesting thing about it in verse 22 is it does it is not actually there. In the Greek text, the word hupotasso for submit is not actually there. And everybody says, wait, then, then why is it there? That's a mistranslation. It's not a mistranslation. We get the word from the previous verse in verse 21, submitting to one another. That is the fir- uh, word hupotasso. Whenever you get to the Greek, the Greek construction is sort of saying this, just like that, wives do the same thing to your own husbands. To avoid confusion, the translators put in submit. That is not a wrongdoing. That is not a mistranslation. That is completely getting at the the uh, the understanding of the text in that. So what does it mean? It means to subordinate, to obey, to arrange oneself under. The term was used in the Greek more in military settings, uh, signifying rank, all right? Um, it does not mean, I'm going to read this quote here uh, by Max Anders. It does not mean inferiority in any way. It is not a matter of worth. 
intelligence, talent, or anything else. It is simply a structure God has established, a structure in which he has also placed himself. Jesus is in submission to the Father. A corresponding passage, it talks about the same subject, headship, biblical headship, is 1 Corinthians 11. And how does it rank that? It says that God is the head of Christ, Christ the head of man, and man the head of the wife. Do you think that Jesus is inferior? You think that Jesus is somehow treated as less than because he's in submission to the Father? No. And so the viewpoint from Scripture that we see that submission is from the wives to the husbands is likened in 1 Corinthians 11 as the submission of Christ is to the Father. And what does God do all through Scripture? Now, we're going at the husbands a little bit here. But what does God do all through Scripture with Christ? He exalts Christ. Yeah. And, 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 and that kind of thing. So, so this is, is not that, um, that kind of thing. And also we see in Galatians that this is not of equal worth or value because it says that there's no Jew nor Greek in Christ. There's no male nor female and that's not talking about that, but, but that's not talking about doing away with the structure. That's not a contradiction. It's saying that men are not, are, are not above women. Women are not less than, than men. But in this specific area, they are, they're equal in God's eyes. But in this specific area, there is a structure God has put in place. Yeah. Well, and even if you look down just two verses, John, in verse 24 it gives another clear illustration of this. Yep, and it says, absolutely. as Christ is, as the church is subject to Christ, as the church should be doing what Christ wants it to do in the sense of ministering the gospel to unbelievers and developing disciples of Christ, in the same way, the wives should be subject to their own husbands and everything. As the church is subject to Christ, wives should be subject to the church. And it uses a, a different term there. Of, uh, you know, it doesn't use submit. It just uses the word subject under in, in the ability of following after what the direction of the church should be, the same direction of what that house should be as ran by the husband in that sense. And in that relationship, in that illustration, the theology of Christ and the church, we're going to see how Christ treats the church when we get to talking about the husbands. And so this is not something that is supposed to be a, a slave, slavery, yeah. a ball and chain uh, type of view towards marriage. And, and a lot of the problems we have with understanding biblical headship and biblical submission, and quite honestly, I know there's terms out there for it, egalitarianism, uh, complementarianism, there's hard complementarianism, soft. I don't like any of those terms, James. Mm-hmm. I don't like any of those terms because they end up over time getting so nuanced that you don't know what someone is saying whenever they say this is where they're at. Yeah. I just prefer the term biblical headship, biblical submission. But the reason why it's such a mess, a convoluted mess, is we go back to Genesis. What happened in Genesis? You have the fall. Mm -hmm. You have uh, the the disobedience of Adam and Eve. And then the curse is given. And if you go to that text, what is the curse given to the woman? The curse given to the woman is this, that her desire shall be for her husband and her husband will rule over her. So much misunderstanding has come from that text, and that is this. One misunderstanding was absolutely laughable. Is yeah. that a misunderstanding of that text is that— We um, heard it in college, John. 
Yeah, that the desire of the woman will be that the woman will, will part of her curse is that she's going to desire to have sex with her husband all the time. That's actually been perpetrated in, in, in commentaries and stuff and <laughs> theologians, which is so insanely hilarious that that can't be the case because, I mean, quite honestly, that just doesn't bear reality. <laughs> Amen, brother. Amen. Sometimes, in some stages, maybe, but that's, and is that a bad thing? No. No. Okay, the curse is this on the woman's part, is that her desire shall be for her husband. Now, here's another misunderstanding of how this text has been mishandled. It says that the, the, the woman's desire will be over her, towards her husband. And the understanding is this, that her desire is going to be to rule over her husband. That is the proper understanding of the Hebrew. But another misunderstanding has come at the next part of that, but the husband will rule over her. And that is this. That her curse is that she's going to want the control, she's going to want the authority, but the husband is going to rule over her and the authority, and that's part of her curse. That's not what it's saying. Mm-hmm. It's saying that part of the woman's curse is that she's going to have the desire to rule and have authority over her husband, and that part of that curse is that that husband is not going to be loving, and he's going to want to rule and control over her. Both aspects are aspects of the curse and the fall. And neither are what God desires in a marriage. What God desires is respect and submission from the wife, love and care and protection from the husband. The husband doesn't rule over. And so a lot of places have have misunderstood the, the roles of men and women in marriage by saying, the woman's going to want to, but no, you need to rule over her. Now, that's part of the curse. You don't rule over her. Mm-hmm. You love her, how Christ loved the church. Now, again, it's hard for me to cover any of this without jumping over into the husband's issue uh, all the time. But um, So we have those things from, from the wives, uh, and James mentioned the, the relationship for the church and Christ. And so also wives should submit in everything. I think we need to deal with this before we leave the wives. So also at the end of verse 24, so also wives should submit in everything to their husband. There's another hard one. That's a hard one. Say, Mm -hmm. wait a second. Is that saying that I'm supposed to submit in everything? All right. This is the idea that the text is conveying. That in every area of life, the husband is responsible for the leadership of the home. Now, he can delegate to that, but when the husband makes a decision, all right, that submission is supposed to be there. Okay, so is there ever a time where the wife does not submit? And my answer to that is yes. Yes. All right, if the husband is trying to get the wife to do something that is unbiblical, that is against God's order, what what is another area that we're told that we're supposed to submit to? government and you go to acts to the book of acts and you have peter and john and they're telling them that they should be doing this and not sharing the gospel and john says it is better for us to obey god rather than man and so there we get a principle that we follow the structures and the authority structures that God has given us in our life, except for whenever they come in contradiction to what God has already said or established. 
husbands that try to get their wives to engage in uh, extramarital sex or uh, watching pornography together, that is, that's sinful. And she should not follow him in that. To cheat on taxes, to do these types of things. Husbands that, that want to um, uh, be abusive to their wives, they should not stand for that, okay? They should not go along with that. They are not expected to submit into those types of situations because they are to follow God rather than... Absolutely. Okay. So... John, uh, what what I thought it was interesting as well, right before we move... Are we moving on to the husbands at this point? No. Okay. Uh, What I thought was, you know, a lot of people... you, you said it, it's a fire topic when we talk about the wives submitting. But in this very passage, there's only, there's three verses specifically talking to the women, but then we've got nine other verses that talk about the the husbands. And I think it, it shows the the importance there. Yeah, Paul is, is, is writing here to the wives, but he's given three times as much information to the husbands of how we should lead and how we should uh, submit even ourselves unto the Lord in that sense. Um, and so as I, as I studied through that and even thought about that this week, uh, last week and this week, it was really eye-opening to me as a husband of this thought of, of how we do love our wives and how our wives in return get to do that uh, back to us. And so I thought it was very interesting in through this, as we do talk about that word, everything, uh, it is a discipline unto the Lord, unto the husband in that sense. Well, let me say something as it concerns the wives' role in submission to the husbands. So any men that are listening to this, nowhere in Scripture are you ever instructed yeah. to make your wife submit. Absolutely. No. You say, well, my wife's not submitting. She won't submit. She refuses to submit. Okay. You do your thing. You pray for her. You be the husband God wants you to be. Yeah. You don't ever, the the words, you're my wife, you should submit, probably shouldn't come out of your mouth. Yeah. If you have to tell your wife to submit, you're doing a terrible job as a husband. Yeah. Okay. Again, back at verse 22, as unto the Lord, not unto James and John, not unto the, it's unto the Lord is she submitting. Yeah. Uh, another aspect of, of this, too, is there's a different nuance between the way that it's given to. So following the context, we give we have the, the instructions to wives and husbands. We have the instructions to children and parents, and we have the instruction to slaves and masters. Children are said to obey their parents, and slaves in verse 5 through 9 are said to obey their masters. There is a different word used for um, children and mass and slaves than it is for wives. There's a similarity of, of, of the, the structure that you see in those, those types of situations, but there's a different word used for wives than it is for... It's the same word for children and, ma- and slaves, mm-hmm. obey, but it's not the same word for women, for wives. And that is because the submission is understood in the Greek term as a voluntary submission. It's about you willingly do this. Yeah. Because as James has said over and over, it's as to the Lord. Your responsibility is to God. Okay? The last thing it says to wives is at the end of verse 33. It says, 
Let each one of you love his wife as himself. See that the wife that she respects her husband. And this is the other aspect. So submission and then respect. And so God in Scripture is asking you, is commanding you to respect your husband. Okay? So that is the wives, and we're going to head to the husbands. Found my new name. Found that good grace Found that healing And the tears fell down my face When I found my beginning That has no ending Found that second chance Thanks for listening to the For Freedom Podcast. If you enjoyed the content of the podcast, please do us a favor by liking, subscribing, or sharing the podcast on whatever podcast platform you listen to. 